0: It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics.
1: I'm glad you're listening to the 89th episode of the Wayne's Comics Podcast here at Majorspoilers.com. I've got a great interview with Royden Lepp, creator of Rust from Archaea. It's one of the best books out today, and it's available in hardcover. The first two volumes are out. There's two more to go, as we talk about during the interview, and I consider it one of the highest quality books available today. We talk a lot about how the book came to be, about what you can expect from the comic, and I hope if you haven't already become a fan that you will, before long, pick up both volumes and make sure that you get the last two. After that, we get to news and previews. There's a lot to get to, so let's get on with the show. It's an honor to welcome to the podcast Royden Lepp, creator of Rust, a great Archaea book that I really love, and I hope that uh, you guys are reading it as well. How are you doing today, Royden? Good, Wayne. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm glad to talk with you. I love this book and I just wanted to tell you how much it, I enjoy it and I have just got so many people every time I know somebody who's picked up the book they never have a bad word to say about it it's always wow what a great book I think that's just a wonderful thing this needs to be in, in libraries and in schools in my opinion it needs to be in people's hands as, as much as we can do that's why I was so grateful to see it was in Free Comic Book Day it was in the Archaea Flipbook so I'm getting some love and some attention so I was really glad about that do you want to talk a little bit about how Rust came to be?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I need to abbreviate it. It's it's kind of a long story, but I had kind of been just dabbling in comics a few years back. Uh, it was kind of the one thing where I could have creative control. I work full time in video games, so I'm very used to working with a creative team of artists and designers. And I needed a place where I could, you know, come home and create something for myself. And Rust was kind of born out of that atmosphere actually to be honest I originally started as a video game pitch doing some sketches and having some friends say hey what's that what's that story and I said I don't have a story it was kind of a kid with a jetpack and they said well, we should have one so I, I started to develop a story pitched it as a video game a few times for the company I worked for and then eventually that that didn't really seem to be the best medium for it and I, I backed out and decided to do A graphic novel, and I have a hard time telling any kind of story that's not epic in scale. So I, you know, even when I set out, you know, it wasn't going to be a small story. I knew that. So it was originally with another publisher, a division of HarperCollins, that had seen some of my previous work and really wanted to work with me. And so that was really exciting for me. And I just, you know, started in on the book. They wanted me to do eight volumes, 150 pages, and I said, how about two? And they said, how about four? And so that's where we settled on. So all along, Rust rest has been a four-volume series. It eventually fell out of the hands of that publisher and ended up with Archaea. And yeah, I mean, there's lots of little details I skipped over. That's kind of the basic uh, story of how it got started.
1: Well, I love Archaea because they will do different things. I love variety in my reading. And that's how I discovered Mouse Guard was I was going through the previews and I saw this little thing with actual mice holding little swords as if they were able to do that. And I thought, i got to check that book out. And I just fell in love with that. And it was the same thing with your book. I was going through the previews and I saw this thing. I was reading the description and I said, man, this is a really interesting story and something different than what I've read about. And so I just thought, wow, this has got to be something I've got to check out. The price at first Put me off a little bit because they're hardcovers and they're twenty four ninety five. Mm-hmm. But man, I got to tell you, I was I, this is the best twenty five dollars I've spent on a comic in a long time. So it's, I just really just dove in and loved it.
2: Yeah, that's great. I uh, I remember first walking when I first started talking to Arkea I walked into their booth in San Diego uh, a couple of years back, and I knew them as the Mouse Guard guys together. Did Mouse Guard, and I knew of Mouse Guard, and I loved it. And walking into their booth. I just knew, oh, this is the home for Rust because they just had really high quality. Their books were beautiful. The design of their books was beautiful and the production mm-hmm. quality was beautiful. And I'll never forget the day that they said it was going to be, you know, a cloth-wrapped hardcover. I said, really? really? Cloth-wrapped hardcover. I was so excited, but also, you know, worried about, you know, putting off fans like you at the, at the price point. But I, you know, I'm glad to hear that you say it was worth it. I love the book. I feel like it's, You know, it can sit on a coffee table. It's something I can really be proud of.
1: Mm -hmm. I want to get into a little more of the story. Before that, I I wanted to talk just a little bit about the fact that I said to you before we started recording something, I think, that bears repeating. And that is the fact that this book reminds me very much of David Peterson's Mouse Guard. And it also reminds me very much of Jeff Smith's Bone. And that you break a lot of conventions with this book. I mean, you've got normally superheroes. It's full color. It's, you know, a monthly book. it's, It's not hardcover. And all of those conventions are broken by this book. I mean, it's, like I said, the price point is a little high. Mm-hmm. And it's hardcover. It's got a lot of pages to it. And, but it's a quick read, which is something that I was fascinated by. And it's also you've got like a duo tone to it instead of being black and white, which I understand it started out originally to be. Mm-hmm. You've got sort of a sepia tone or a kind of a yellowish brownish feel to it as well as the black there's so many conventions that you've broken with this and it does my heart good to see somebody take chances and be successful with it and, this, and that's one of the things about bone and, and mouse guard that i thought rust reminded me of so i just i wanted to make sure that people knew that it's in good company <laughs> if you want to buy this book because wow it's just something special
2: that's an incredible company I, I i can't ask for anything more than being compared to either of those books so thank you very much I think I break conventions because I don't feel like I know <laughs> what a lot of them are. Okay. I'm I'm not reading a lot myself. I'm reading a little bit more now that Rust has been out and I'm seeing, you know, what it's sitting next to on the shelf and, and that sort of stuff. And there are some books I've really, really come to enjoy. But before, you know, when I first started digging into the story, I wasn't reading anything, not regularly at all. So I feel like that shielded me from some conventions and I knew that at the time so I I started to purposely stay away from picking up any other books cuz I just didn't want to be influenced by what was out there. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's that's my excuse
1: anyway. I don't know if that's <laughs> Well it worked. I mean, you know, it it's something unlike anything else that's out there in my opinion. Yeah. Which I think is something great because you know, I, I and don't get me wrong, I love my Long John superheroes books. I go every week to buy them. But every once in a while I want something different and this scratches that itch for me spectacularly. Oh, I love that very much. Now, one other thing I want to mention before before we get into the story of it was that I'm at this site, Majorspoilers.com, and I was listening to the main podcast that they do, and a couple of weeks ago, they happened to be talking about Rust. And they were saying a lot of the stuff – my stuff's original, but they were lavishing praise on the book as well. Okay. And I thought, man, I said, and if anybody wants to listen to that, you go to the Majorspoilers.com site and go to the podcast and go under Major Spoilers. And you'll see that it's listed under there. Rust is one of the topics that they discussed a couple of weeks back. So so anybody wants to listen to that, please be sure to do that. But as far as the story goes, it's an interesting story because it's very unlike stuff that we're used to. A lot of it takes place on a farm. And a lot of it has to do with what I consider to be very genuine people. You know, sometimes comics characters can be very standard stuff. I mean, we, we use a lot of stereotypes in order to be able to get people to understand who the characters are, very Star Wars way of doing things. Mm-hmm. But your characters, I thought, just breathed to me so strongly. It, you know, it's, it's a video game if we don't care about the characters, but to me, I really love the characters. I, I love the way the Jet appears on the farm. Jet, of course, is the core of the main character who has the jetpack, and we come to find out he's actually in the shape of a boy, but not necessarily a boy. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that it was just a fascinating thing to draw us in with these real life characters in a situation. Now, comics don't often take place on farms. They're usually in big cities where, I mean, New York seems to be where all comics happen most of the time. And I just thought that this was, again, something that reached out to me and said that this is something that adds variety to my reading. And I'm desperate for that. I understand you were raised on a farm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I was born in uh, Canada, raised on Manitoba, Canadian prairies where it's, you know, incredibly flat and your neighbors are miles and miles apart from each other. So, yeah, that's quite a ways in my past. I mean, um, I was, I think, seven or eight when my family moved into the interior of British Columbia, which was, you know, less farming community, a lot more mountains, still a very beautiful area. And then, of course, now I'm living in Seattle, so I am in the city. But there was just this draw for me, this like place in the prairies that exists in my mind, almost like a dream cause I was so young and it seemed to be, it was just an interesting setting to me. There's this claustrophobia that happens when you're in this great expansive space and yet so far away from your neighbors that it, I find that to be really interesting, a bit of a juxtaposition that you have so much space but so little community Besides the people you live in a house with and mm-hmm. I find that to be interesting. It's like being in jail in a way. It's like it's almost <laughs> like being in a prison with your family. And, <laughs> and that, you know, that creates obviously pretty interesting situations.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I like the way that the, the characters, I mean, Roman, who's the guy that, own, that is running the farm. He's very much of a real person, you know. He's thrust into this unusual circumstance. And you make a point in a lot of the interviews that I read of yours that this is not necessarily our world, that it it, it might be a similar world, but things have transpired very differently on there. And, of course, they've got great big robots as well as Jet that become involved in the story. And, again, like Mouse Guard, like the mice, you pull for the mice. And, like, I pull for Jet because he's in the shape of a smaller boy, but he's got real problems that he's dealing with. And he becomes a part of this family. On the farm, and I want him to be accepted. Now, which, of course, right away, one of the, the, the boys, Oswald, takes a dislike to him,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which I got a kick out of because that's very real family stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I also Jeff Lemire, who writes Animal Man and other stories, a lot of his things have to do with family. And I noticed that that was similarity in, in your writing, in that you're dealing with a family in this book. And it, was that intentional? Did you want to talk about family dynamics as, as part of Rust?
2: Yeah, I I think so. I mean, at the core, Rust is a story about people. And one of the greatest compliments I've heard on the book uh, from somebody was, you know, they said this book would actually work without the robots, um, which is a great compliment. I don't know if it's true, because I I, I really like the genre. I like, you know, science fiction stuff and the robots are very interesting to me and I I love drawing them. But that was a great compliment that somebody saw it as a story about family, because, yeah, that is what I'm That's definitely what I'm trying to do. I think that's more interesting. I mean, we're, we're all stuck in these situations with family, whether they're broken families or semi broken families, there's no really well-functioning families for anybody, but often comics seem to be more of um, a fantasy of what we, what we would wish for or what, what we would imagine. Like uh, of course, a lot of the superhero stories like Iron Man, you know, this rich billionaire who's also a superhero and, and Batman and even Spider-Man, the underdog that's got this ace up his sleeve. But mm-hmm. What we all know is the struggles of growing up with a family. And so putting in, you know, a cool character like Jet Jones that adds this wow factor on top of the complex layers of of the human relationships between, you know, Roman and his mother and the siblings and the neighbors. I don't know. It just seems to be that's more interesting to me. So I'm glad it's more interesting to you as well.
1: Yeah, well, this is great. Now, the interesting too, uh, thing about it is too. not only do you have the farm involved, but you've also got war as a backdrop for what's happening in the books. Jet is apparently a part of a war that's going on, also these other robots. And so, you know, the war I, – I, I'm not exactly clear. Is the war done or is it still going on?
2: <laughs> yeah, um, I haven't made it completely clear. Um, the war is over, but – I think I'd put an asterisk next to that, but I, I don't want to spoil any of the future story. So I would say that it's fair to say that the war is over.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, we're seeing the repercussions of the war, and it's it's starting to spill out into where the farm is apparently. Yeah. Yeah. There's this kind of
2: situation where all the weapons of war are being dispersed throughout the communities, and you know these robots that no longer have any use—they're they're essentially killing machines. So they're being repurposed to help on the farm, and again, that's just kind of like thinking about. How war creates industry and once war is gone, that industry is, you know, left hanging and so that it, you know, just creating that situation in my mind was kind of fun and allowed me to, you know, have tons of robots, which is always fun. (laughs)
1: Well, I thought it was interesting. You describe yourself as a an artist first, and like a writer third in one of the interviews I I listened to. But I mean, b- based on Rust, I, I I think you could do a good job of writing even if you weren't doing the art because this is really profound and there's a lot of not only is there interesting things going on, but there's there are kind of messages going on as well. We're talking about war, we're talking about relationships, we're talking about you know technology. There's all kinds of things going on in the story that these characters are. Showing us rather than telling us. There was another thing you said that I thought was really profound in the sense that you don't put dialogue in if there's no need for it. And that's one of the things about you, when you sit down with Rust, it, it'll be a quick read, but it, that doesn't mean it's a bad read. I mean, you are just drawn into the story. It's nice to see because I have to be honest with you. There's so many comics that I read that there's these huge word balloons. Mm-hmm. And I can barely get through the word balloons. Sometimes I skip them just to say, well, we'll, they'll cover that later on. (laughs) But you use your art to, to be the primary focus of the story. And I think that is such a nice and welcome change in comics today. So I really wanted to mention that and make sure that you understood that we out there appreciate that you actually can tell a story visually and not have to rely on so many words.
2: Yeah, thanks. I'm a really, really big fan of the language, uh, sequential storytelling of visual storytelling. And I think that it's being done in comics, you know, for the most part. But I think there's a lot of books I've picked up that are really, I, they're really actually just kind of picture books. Like they're, the, the story is all there in the text and the illustrations just illustrate what the story is telling. And I I wanted to exercise that language of visual storytelling of actually Communicating with just images alone, and and what's been interesting, I found is that even pe- some people that are reading comics don't really know or or care for that language, which is fine. It, you know, it's it's okay that it's not some people's thing, but it's interesting that some people have you know picked it up until so there's no words. What is there to read? Or they at first when they pick up rust, they flip past the pages that have no words, like they're trying to get to the part with the words, and it's not coming. <laughs> and uh they realized and some of them have told me this they they said oh i realized what was going on and i had to go back to the beginning of the book and start to quote unquote read it you know (laughs) and uh i think that's cool i like to be able to to communicate with the image i think that's what the art form is about and sometimes i've gone maybe a little bit too far in exercising it sometimes i've you know i've probably languished on the panels a little bit but I'm still learning and experimenting, and I, it's fun and a challenge for me, and it's the way I like to read books, too. So I'm you know, ultimately just kind of creating something that I would like to read. Very cool.
1: Very cool. Well, well I, I'm enjoying it as well. Now, Roman, who's the guy that runs the farm, he's writing letters to his father, and my understanding is that your father passed not too very long ago. And So I'm just kind of wondering, is the Roman character, is he kind of you in this story?
2: <laughs> you know, Wayne, I've wondered that. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know whether that's true or not. I I definitely have to um I have to sit in the seat of Roman's consciousness especially when I'm writing the letters. You know, there's those points when I'm writing the book, I sit down and write a letter that Romans writing to his father, and I have to think about what it would be like to be stuck with this responsibility and I have to think about the absence of the one person, that one mentor that I am now missing and the things that I've realized that I'm missing, although luckily I'm, you know, I'm at a, i am was an adult when he passed away, but for Roman, there is no end to his challenges. And I do have to think about specifically his situation, but I do the same thing for all the characters. I have to try to remember what it was like to be an eight year old kid or nine year old kid like Oz and have an intruder or have a bully. Although I wouldn't describe Jed as a bully, but Somebody who doesn't belong and you know that they there's something they're not telling everybody else and you can't really say it. I mean I can't say I've been in that situation, but I have to sit in his in that seat in, in his role and become Oz and think about it. So I probably relate the most with Roman as far as like being in the you know, an adult and somebody whose father's no longer in the picture. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, I, I would like it if everybody could Find a character that they can connect with, and hopefully, I've you know accurately built those characters so that they're interesting and mo- and people can connect with different characters. That, that that would be the hope.
1: That leads me to another point in the sense that to me, the kids in the books are very real. Oftentimes in comics, children are kind of small adults. <laughs> you know, they they talk like adults and they don't act like kids. But when I read Rust, I was very touched by how much. And of course, I don't I don't have kids myself. I'm just going by what my understanding of children are, is that these are very realistic children. They talk to each other like kids talk to each other. They listen to each other and act like children. And I like that very much because I really get tired of everybody being an adult all the time in, in comics. You know, I mean, Robin and Batman recently was a, very much of an adult, even though he was a, a small child. Mm-hmm. To me, to see these kids act like kids, I, I thought that was one of the best things of the book was to actually show the family and show the child as a child. So I really liked that. I just I, I was very smitten by the fact that these characters and even the children are different from each other, which I, I thought was really an accomplishment, because oftentimes all the kids, all, if, if they do act like kids, they're all the same. So I thought that you know jet is different from Oz who's different from the other children and I like that about that I think this is one of the things that makes it a book that I think the whole family can read
2: cool yeah thanks i'm I'm drawn towards children in stories because there's so much honesty that comes <laughs> out of children and it, it, to me it's sometimes it's a little easier because kids just say what's on their mind mm-hmm. nothing's veiled or complicated in socialization or you know, language or anything. They just, they, they kind of just speak what's on their mind or they talk about the situation as it's, as it's there in front of them. And sometimes that makes it easier to write for those kids. But I, I don't know. I, I just find them more interesting too. They just, the way kids view the world as, you know, as I remember viewing the world as a kid, it's just much more of a fascinating place, you know, and, and, uh, the possibilities seem to be endless and limitless. I don't know. I'm definitely drawn to stories with kids. And as I've looked on Beyond Rust and thought about what would I work on next, the stories that keep popping into my head always always have kids in them some way. <laughs> Very cool, because
1: kids scare me on some levels. You <laughs>
2: me know. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't have children myself. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but, but they're fun to write for, That's
1: that's for sure. Yeah, that's great. Great. Now, there's one question I got, and I, I just so folks know, I haven't gotten into a lot of the details of the stories because I'm hoping people will buy the first volume and get into the second. But there's a lot that happens in these volumes, and there's a lot of story being told. And I, I don't want people to think that there's not a lot of story happening. Boy, there is. It's it, and it's very gripping, and it'll pull you from page to page just like it did with me. The thing I'm curious about, I've heard you describe the book as having like rusty robots in it, but. It's called Rust and it's Jet Jones. And I'm just wondering why is it called Rust as opposed to like Jet Jones or, you know, like Rusty Robots or something? Why is it referred to as Rust?
2: Oh, that's fascinating. That's fascinating that you say that, Wayne, because originally the title of the series was called Jet Jones. Ha. For many years it was. Uh, That was the title. And I'm going to appropriately give credit to Archaea here. When I pitched it to them, it was still called Jet Jones. And and they said, one of the first things they said is, you know, we love the book, we love the series, we want to publish it. But we think it needs a new title. And that threw me off right away because I never liked that very much. I was quite married to the name Jet Jones. I loved the character. It's what the story was about. And I felt like his name was very original and it made the title original. And so immediately I was not in favor and they said, you know, what do you think about, we're thinking about this name, Rust. And it just settled on me, like, huh, yeah, that's kind of appropriate. And I didn't have to ask them why it was appropriate. I kind of knew. And I tested it out on some of my colleagues and friends and said, you know, Arceus thinking of renaming the book. And, and my friends would be like, oh, no, that sounds terrible. I, and I said, well, and they said, what do, what do they want to call it? And I said, Rust. And they, would, they all reacted the same. They were like, huh, that's kind of appropriate. And none of us really talked about why it just fit. And so ultimately I you know, I thought that it was a good idea. For me it's appropriate because you know, because of the rusty robots and everything everything is kind of breaking down in the story. Everything is being duct taped together and kinda of held together in a in a obviously post apocalyptic kind of way. But more than that, you know, this family is kind of degrading with the loss of the father, the absence of the father, you know. And so there are themes there that carry throughout, and I don't want to get too deep and philosophical in talking about it, but it was appropriate to me in my mind, and I can't specify exactly what it is, but I think that it fits many of the themes of the book, not just visually, but the themes of the story and the the situations of the character.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Very cool. I've always wondered, ever since I read I I heard you say Rusty Robots, and I was thinking, that can't be the only reason why this is called Rust. (laughs) There's got to be some other things going on. Well, the first volume was called Visitor in the Field, and of course, that's where Jet Jones shows up. The second is called Secrets of the Cell, and the third one that's going to be coming out is called Death of the Rocket Boy. (laughs) And I'm kind of fascinated because in the first volume, Roman refers to Jet as the Rocket Boy. Mm Mm-hmm. So now you've got me worried about what's going to happen in the third volume you said there's going to be four. I mean, there's got to be a fourth volume, so I'm hoping Jed will survive the third volume so we can get into the fourth volume. <laughs> so yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Now, one of the things that fascinated me is each. also each book has a different color to it. Oh, and one thing, too, we talked about the insides. The, the insides are all in like a duotone. You've got on the front of the book, you've got full color Images, Which I thought really kind of helps as far as those people who can't get into duotones and things like that. Mm-hmm. It kind of helps them when they get into the book to have this color reference to go in. Mm-hmm. And that was the same on the, on the free comic book day book. Yeah, which was kind of fun. That was need to see a nice big picture of that. The first one was kind of orangish reddish, and the second one was a light blue. Is the third one going to be like green? <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're very good, Wayne. I'm not going to tell anybody what the third
1: going to. Okay, all right. Well, I'll see you when I get it because I ordered it. So yeah, oh, great. Well, it's still
2: it's still being decided, but um, okay. you're you're uh, you're two for
1: two so far. <laughs> Okay, oh, great, great. Now, one other thing I want to talk about, the free comic book story, is that in the scheme of the Rust story, where does that fall, or is that something we need to wait until the books are done before we realize where the short story falls?
2: I, I don't think I'm uh, spoiling anything by just saying that with both free comic book day stories, last year's and this year's, the goal was to have an original story, so something that's not in either of, or any of the volumes, but that could tie in in almost... Any order, except for the fact that they all exist while Jet is with the family. So my desire with the pre conflict book is to give people a taste of the world of Rust. They have to meet Jet Jones and they have to meet some members of the Taylor family. And there's multiple ways to do that. So I'm trying to tell little stories that definitely, if you're you know if you're reading the series, you're going to catch hints about you know who Jet is or who Oz is or or even Amy and Ava, uh, you know, in this year's story, but. Uh, you know, I, I won't say that they fit into a bigger picture necessarily, except that they fit in with the story as it exists. And, you know, in volume, in, in Secrets of the Cell, we put Free Comic Book Day in the back, mm-hmm. Secrets of the Cell. And mm-hmm. uh, we might do that again with Free Comic Book Day this year. We might put it in the back of Volume 3. I'm not sure about that yet, but there's desire to do that. So sure. we may do that. So, And that's how it would fit. You know, I just want it to be an extra story that... Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily crucial. If you miss it, you won't be missing out on the series.
1: And still, it it has the tone to the other ones. You know, I'm so used to this longer story going on. It was nice to read a short story like that. You know, just a little, again, my variety thing. Uh, It was nice to just read the couple-page story that filled in some of the gaps and helped me understand the characters just a little bit more, so I like that. There was uh,
2: apparently some bets going on at Arcade whether I could do it or not. They were like, well, it's got to be eight pages. So last year and they said, well apparently they were like oh, i don't think you can do it right it takes 8 pages to tell, <laughs> to tell you know a very small amount of information I, I really like to stretch my legs and i said no 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 i can get you know 8 pages we got to be able to fit some kind of plot in there and so it was it's a very big challenge for me but it's a fun challenge i enjoy it.
1: Well, I loved it. I thought it was great and very appropriate for the other stuff. You're right, the other free comic book day thing. I was glad it was included in the second volume. Now, the third volume, do you have any kind of uh, rough idea as to when the third volume is going to hit?
2: There's one thing I've learned in this process, Wayne, is to not talk about the release date anymore. (laughs) Okay. I talked about the release date for Volume 2 for a while, and for multiple different reasons that were outside of my control, it dropped a lot later than originally planned, so I was doing a lot of... Interviews and talking to people at cons and giving them like really rough dates and it really ended up being several months after those rough dates. And that was really disappointing to fans and I regretted it. But, you know, we're, we're on this cycle of, you know, roughly once a book once a year and I would like to stay on that. So uh, if volume three came out for Christmas, that would be awesome. It's probably more realistic that it would be early 2014.
1: Okay, well, you know I, I it would be my Christmas present if it comes out that time because i I really love this stuff, and I just think it's so, such a well done thing. Have you got a name yet and I, I'm not asking you to spoil anything but the, the title of the fourth volume have you come up with a title for that yet?
2: um no, I think that's still that's still rough i've I've thrown a couple of titles around, and until volume four takes its real physical shape, that's when I can actually appropriately title it. I know what's going to happen in volume four. I know how the series is going to end. But until I can see what the book is really starting to look like as I work through it, I probably won't name it until
1: then. Okay. Well, that's good. This is good. worth the wait. If you've gotten the first two volumes, like I have, and I have them in front of me while I'm talking to you, it's it's definitely worth the wait for the third one. Like when the second one came out, I was so ecstatic. I said, "All right, the second one." Because there was a store I go to, and we we're always looking for hidden treasures. And the guy said behind the counter, he and I are always sharing these books that we haven't, we don't know if anybody else knows about. And he said, "Have you read Rust?" I said, "I love it." He said, "Yeah, me too." He said, "It's such a great book." I just am so looking forward to the third volume and then to the fourth. I hope that's not the end of the the Rust verse, as it is. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I really like telling
2: stories that have an ending, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of momentum going behind this series, as you you know, as you might have read with the uh, film option and stuff like that. So I think that there's going to be, you know, I'm I'm definitely going to have to consider, you know, what else is coming after this, um, as far as the world of Rust. And there's lots of ideas. R R B C it has got a lot of ideas as well. I love the world, I love the characters, so I would love to keep some of it going. But at the same time, I love a story that, you know, it has a beginning, a middle and an end, and it doesn't necessarily go on forever. It's there are characters that have their arc and when it's over it'll be over. That doesn't mean that there won't be other stories to explore.
1: Well, you know, I have to say, you're, again, you're breaking convention. Because <laughs> most comics, it's month after month, it's, it's, it's the same, you know, nothing ever really ends. And so I, when I get to an end, I'm, I'm literally going, what, it's over? And so if you haven't picked up Rust, and the first one is called Visitor in the Field, and the second one is called Secrets of the Cell, and the third one is going to be called Death of the Rocket Boy, if you get to your local comic shop, I highly recommend you pick them up. And order the third one because whenever it shows up, you're going to want to make sure you've got it in your box and they're, they're saving it for you because it's definitely a great story. Royden, I wish you a lot of success. I'm going to buy all your stuff from here on out. I do want to mention, too, you have a really fun blog in which you do a lot of illustration and you show some of the other work that you've done. Do you want to tell people where that's located?
2: Yeah, sure. If I know where it's located, I think it's just com. And basically my I call it my blog folio back before I had time to create a portfolio I just threw all my images up on a blog I will say I don't update it I just keep my kind of the best of the best free range IP stuff up there so when things are you know I'm no longer worried about people seeing them I'll throw it up there so yeah there's I've got a lot of illustrations and paintings that I've done in the last couple of years I'm holding back and waiting for a good time I can throw them up there but Every now and then I'll I'll get some more images up there and show people, but um, that just kind of shows the range of stuff that I like to do, which, as you have seen, is a lot wider than just kind of the style of rust I really like to explore. So,
1: yeah. That's great. And you know Rust is is one of those rare books that comes along that, man, I just keep putting in people's hands and keep saying, read this, read this, because you're really going to enjoy it. And I hope that people will follow through and buy these books because they're worth having in your collection. If you want something that's going to give you variety, that's going to take you places you haven't imagined you were ever going to go, then be sure to buy Rust because it's just a terrific book.
2: Thanks, Wayne. I, I appreciate it. Those are very kind words.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to talking with you again sometime in the future. I'd love to, when the series comes to an end, talk to you about how this evolved and, and how we got to where we are. Because, gosh, it's just such a great book. So so fantastic.
2: Cool. Well, thank you very much. I'd love to talk again as, as the series unfolds. And, yeah, it's great. Thank you very much for recommending it to your friends. I I really couldn't ask for more than that.
0: From the comics universe, news, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics podcast so you can keep reading your comics.
1: Now at Majorspoilers.com. Let's get into some news first up is the news that robot chicken is going to have another dc comics special they kicked off this past season with one that jeff johns had just written for and they're going to have another one they've announced and here's how it reads faster than a speeding bullet well maybe not but quality takes time Stupid Buddy Studios, in partnership with DC Entertainment and Warner Bros. Animation, will premiere a sequel to their acclaimed Annie Award-winning Robot Chicken DC Comics Special in 2014. Robot Chicken DC Comics Special 2 brings you the awesomeness of the DC Comics universe of characters as only Robot Chicken can, with amazing guest stars and the stop-motion sketch comedy you've come to love after six seasons of the popular Adult Swim series. Executive producers for the second Robot Chicken DC Comics special include Stupid Monkeys' Seth Green and Matthew Sinrich, DC Entertainment Chief Creative Officer Jeff Johns, Warner Brothers Animations Executive Vice President Creative Affairs Sam Register, and Stupid Buddy Studios' John Harvatine IV and Eric Towner. I would expect a lot of craziness to go on and to to poke their fun at the DC characters. As long as Mr. Johns is along, I'm sure it'll be all right. they got a nasty picture of all these villains kicking Robin into the ground in what looks like supposed to be a birthday party. So expect craziness, expect weirdness, expect robot chicken. Let's move to Marvel Animation. Big Hero 6 is now officially on Disney's schedule for theatrical release on November the 7th, 2014, and is the first product of what many observers were hoping to see when Marvel was acquired by Disney in 2009. The company's revered animation division is adapting Marvel's characters. Of course, we knew that was going to happen. Directed by Don Hall, Big Hero 6 is clearly something of an unexpected choice based on Marvel's characters because it's a Japanese super team that's only made a handful of comic book appearances and started life when Stephen T. Siegel and Duncan Rouleau created them as guest stars during their run on Alpha Flight in 1998. In the interim time, other creators have presented their take on the characters. and Siegel and Rouleau, along with fellow comic vets Joe Casey and Joe Kelly, have found phenomenal success in a televised animation world with Ben 10, Generator X, and Ultimate Spider-Man. So I guess it wasn't long before Disney and Marvel started cooperating on some of these things, and this is the first thing of that. So keep your calendar scheduled for November the 7th, 2014 for Big Hero 6. Now let's get to some comics news. DC has put out a new What's New in the New 52 edition, and we're going to get a new version of Dr. Phosphorus, who's apparently going to make his debut in Catwoman very soon. DC Editor-in-Chief Bob Harris wrote, Today the treacherous underworld of Gotham City expands with the New 52 debut of Dr. Phosphorus. And if you happen to be a skilled jewel thief in a feline costume, I'd be extra careful about crossing paths with this guy. Of course, the original Dr. Phosphorus was Dr. Alexander Sartorius, who was primarily a Batman villain and who made his debut in the Steve Englehart-written Detective Comics 469. Of course, previously we found out there's going to be new versions of Cyborg Superman, a Joker's daughter, a new Batwing character called Lady Vic, and a new Green Lantern villain called Relic. Stay tuned for the new 52. In other DC news, the upcoming Batman Superman comic is actually going to throw the two heroes into Earth 2 and we're going to get to see how they interact with the heroes on that dimension. Of course, we've got a new Batman coming there, so it's kind of interesting. Marvel writer Greg Pak is taking it over and the art is going to be done by Jay Lee. So, we'll see some good stuff, I think, with that. Of course, I love Earth 2 as a comic anyway, so I think we're going to have a good time with that. So, I, I think what's going to happen is we're going to get to see these characters shift over in there. We haven't seen any kind of crossovers yet into Earth 2. Of course, long-time readers remember that Earth 1 and Earth 2 used to always cross over in Justice league of america every summer and those were some of the best stories i read when i was growing up as a kid but batman and superman apparently will get over to earth too and we'll see what happens over there it's going to be kind of an interesting development mr pack of course has some interesting things in mind there used to be a superman batman book back before the new 52 so i'm not surprised that they're bringing this world's finest pairing up again so get ready for the summer we'll see batman and superman team up again and we'll see them go to earth too And finally, of course, let's get to the Iron Man 3 film. I haven't had a chance to see it yet, so I can't really comment on how good it is. But everybody I know who's gone to see it has told me it's the best Iron Man that's been out so far. Of course, as far as the box office goes, it did extremely well. It had 175.3 million in its initial opening, and of course, that is only being beaten by the Avengers, which did 207.4 million last year. So, an overseas gross to date for Iron Man 3 is 504.8 million. And of course, the film stars Robert Downey Jr., and there's a lot of debate as to whether he's going to come back for a fourth movie. We'll never know until they, uh, an official announcement takes place. So, the uh, Iron Man 3 benefited from a strong family attendance and positive audience recommendations, getting a, a cinema score of A. Reviews for the film have been strong, better than the last film in the series, which I didn't like at all. And it's interesting that now they keep referring it, instead of calling it a Marvel movie, it's being referred to as a Disney movie. Dave Hollis, Disney's Executive Vice President for Worldwide Sales, said that they're getting strong word of mouth. And it knocked off Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 from second place as the all-time opening weekend. So that's pretty good as far as that goes. Like I said, I haven't seen it, but I did get a chance to see something that came out with it. And it's called Iron Man Rise of Technovore. It's an anime film that is very much in the style, if you saw recently on G4, they had four different series of anime shows based on Marvel characters. There was Blade, the one I liked the most. There was also Wolverine, the one I liked the least. There was X-Men and Iron Man. So there was one in the style of that, although they have different voices for it. Rise of Technivore has to do with a child of Justin Hammer, who has developed an intermix of biology and technology and he has to fight the this character quite a lot it's actually a young teenage boy and Tony Stark of course thinking he's the cat's pajamas is really doing his best to knock the kid down and he does win out in the end of course it is an Iron Man movie. It's interesting how it goes I was always fascinated by the concept of having biology mixed with technology and so I like that idea quite a lot it gets of course to a fist fight towards the end we get to see the two of them slug it out and things go pretty well for Iron Man as things develop. Uh, there's an apparent death in the family but it doesn't work out that way so if you haven't seen Iron Man Rise of Technovore, I would say you're probably better off to go see Iron Man 3 at this point. Iron Man Rise of Technovore is available on DVD or download, so give that a shot if you're in the mood for more Iron Man, or if you're just in the mood for some anime and you're a big anime fan, I would say Iron Man Rise of Technovore might be for you. Let's have a look at previews for May 15th. let's move into the previews. From the Abrams Company there's the Star Wars Storyboards the Prequel Trilogy hardcover for $40. There's a lot of extra stuff besides the comics that's coming out this week so I'll mention some of that because I think it'll be of interest. From Archaea there's Strange Attractors hardcover for nineteen ninety five. From Archie you've got Archie and Friends Double Digest for $4 and the Sonic Universe which continues on in comics at $2.99. From Aspen you've got Soul Fire volume 4 number 5 for $3.99 each. So that's a good book by J.T. Krull, worth getting. From Avatar Press, you've got Crossed, Wish You Were Here, Volume 2, Hardcover, and also a trade paperback of the same. That's interesting. From Big Finish Productions, one of the first of the Doctor Who things that's out this week, there's the Eldred mustai Audio CD for $25 and the Spaceport Fear Audio CD for $25. From Bleeding Cool, we get the Bleeding Cool Magazine number 4 for $5. Bongo Comics has The Simpsons Comics, number 202. From Boom Studios, you've got the debut of the regular show comic for three It's got at least six covers that I can count. You're also going to be able to get the trade paperback of the Adventure Time, Marceline, and the Scream Queens first volume. Then the Adventure Time, volume one, playing with fire graphic novel. Fanboys vs. Zombies, number 14, is also up from Boom Studios. From Dark Horse, we've got BPRD, Hell on Earth, number 107, part one of a three-part Wasteland storyline. Conan the Barbarian, number 16. And you've also got Edgar Allan Poe's The Fall of the House of Usher, number one of two for $3.99. And the RIPD, City of the Damned, trade paperback. While it's not verified by Diamond, it's very likely to be out this week. From DC, we've got Aquaman, volume one, The Trench, trade paperback. And you can also catch up completely with Aquaman just about by getting volume two, the hardcover, for the others. There's also Authority, Volume 1 hardcover, for $30. Then we get into more of the regular books. You've got Batgirl, number 20. You've also got Batwoman, number 20. It's funny they come out on the same week these days. Birds of Prey, Catwoman. Green Lantern, the animated series, But I'm sure is the final issue, or if not close to it. Injustice Gods Among Us, number 2, has a third printing variant. And number 3 has a second printing variant. JSA, The Liberty Files, The Whistling Skull, the final issue, number 6 of 6. Justice League, Beyond Constriction, trade paperback, and also Justice League of America's Vibe number four. Then Legion of Superheroes, Nightwing, Red Hood and the Outlaws, which is done by James Tyne on the fourth, which is last issue was really great. Then Supergirl number 20, the final issue of Sword of Sorcery, and that's number eight, and Wonder Woman number 20. From Dynamite, we've got Battlestar Galactica coming back to comics, issue number one, with an Alex Ross black and white variant and a regular cover. Then Bionic Man vs. The Bionic Woman, the final issue, number 5 of 5. There's Dejah Thoris and the Green Men of Mars, number 3 of 8. Kevin Smith's The Bionic Man, number 20. Lord of the Jungle, number 15. I still love that book. Then there's Mark Wade's The Green Hornet, number 2. Peter Cannon Thunderbolt, number 9. And Shadow, number 13. From IDW, we get Doctor Who, Prisoners of Time, volume 1 trade paperback for $17.99. Then the ever-unending My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, number 7 is out. And the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number 20, a second printing is out. From Image, we get Fatal, number 14, a great ongoing book. There's also Hoax Hunter's, volume 2, Secrets and Lies, trade paperback. If you're not reading that book, I highly recommend it. Great, great book. There are replacement copies for Morning Glories, number 26, written by Nick Spencer. Something must have happened to them in the process. Uh, they made some change to it, so you can pick up their replacement copies this week. Then Marvel Comics, Age of Ultron, number 8, of 10. So that'll be coming to an end before too long. Then there is Indestructible Hulk, Volume 1, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. hardcover, the premiere edition of $24.99. Iron Man, number 10, as we celebrate the movie. Nova, number 4. And Wolverine and the X-Men, number 29. From Oni Press, from one of the creators of Sixth Gun, there's Hellheim number 2, a second printing, and Hellheim number 3. I like that book. I think it's pretty good. We get back to Doctor Who from the Penguin Group in the UK. You get the Doctor Who official sticker book softcover. And Doctor Who, Where's the Doctor softcover. Those are out this week as well. From Rebellion, we get 2000 AD, Pack, April 2013 for $21. And the Judge Dread Magazine for $12.25. From Valiant, it's Bloodshot number 11, Exo War number 13. From Xenoscope, you get Grimm's Fairy Tales... Uh, several different versions of it, so you'll be able to pick up a bunch of stuff. There's also some Heroclix from DC, a Superman and a Teen Titans booster and some other stuff coming out too, so be sure to look out for that if you're a WizKids Heroclix type person. Some uh, merchandise really quickly to mention is that the Aquabats Super Show Season 1 is coming out on DVD. You've also got, as far as merchandise goes, we mentioned Adventure Time. There are t-shirts coming out. There is No One Can Hear You previews exclusive red t-shirt. And there's also a Jake Handel mug for $14. Batman the Dark Knight Trilogy plays Art's action figure with Bane for $64.99. There is also the S.H.I.E.L.D. Captain America stud earrings for $18. That's the first I've heard of those. DC Comics Aquaman New Justice League from the New 52 statue for $39.99. We get back to Doctor Who. There are TARDIS bobbleheads with music. There's a River Song mini journal. There are t-shirts, one for Union Glow. And another one for Union Jack TARDIS. So, lots of good things there. Speaking of Iron Man, there's a Iron Man Patriot Blast Previews Exclusive Trucker Mesh Cap. And also the Subfront Snapback Cap. Then we've also got Star Trek The Next Generation Communicator Badge Replica for about $20. If you've worn yours out already, then you have a new one to get. And we end up always with zombies and The Walking Dead. Keep calm, stay in the house... Previews exclusive red t-shirt is out, as well as the Rick and Pistol Previews exclusive black t-shirt. And those are the previews for the week of May 15th. And that's a wrap for Episode 89. Be sure to be back next week when I'll have more news, reviews, previews, and of course interviews on the next Wayne's Comics Podcast, now on Majorspoilers.com. But until then, keep reading your comics.